He's a former police officer, member of the United States military, and a podcaster as well. A line of duty death of one of his partners, someone he was responsible for, had a profound impact on him. Combine that with marital problems, alcohol, self-medication, it all became too much. He's here to talk about what happened, his life afterwards, and what he does today. Welcome to the Law Enforcement Today radio show. I'm your host. My name's John J. Wiley. In addition to being a radio broadcaster, I'm a retired police sergeant. For the latest news articles and much more, check out our website, letradioshow.com. In the Law Enforcement Today show, we'll be joined by special guests. We'll be talking about their experiences and issues affecting law enforcement officers, first responders, their families, their community, and victims of horrendous crimes. Be sure to like us on Facebook. Our page is Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Check out the daily articles on our website, letradioshow.com. And while you're there, download our free app. Another reason to like and follow us on Facebook, the mobile Facebook app. You can listen to the podcast there for free. So if you ever miss an episode of Law Enforcement Today Show, it's always on the mobile Facebook app. You know the one on your phone, which is free. It's easy to access the podcast and great articles, much more. By the way, feel free to send me a message. Say hello. If I can help you, let me know. That's on our Facebook page. Do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today Radio Show. Be sure to click like and follow. Calling us from Texas, we have Nate Fisher on the phone. Nate is a former law enforcement officer. He is, well, he went through the ringer. And I'm, I'm really grateful that you have decided to come on the law enforcement show nate and tell your story it's very much appreciated yes sir absolutely i appreciate you having me on i think we connected via facebook and i sent a message to nate i don't do this often but every now and then someone will post something and it resonates with me and and i sent a message and if they get back to me great by the way you can always follow me on facebook just go to facebook.com Search for a Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. Nate, you were in two law enforcement agencies before you left. Correct. Yes, sir. Yeah, both here in the state of Texas. Awesome. And by the way, thank you for your service in law enforcement. And you're also involved with a branch of military we can't talk about. Uh, Thank you for that as well. Yes, sir. You went through the ringer trauma-wise. And uh, there's no real polite way of saying this. One of the biggest fears I had in law enforcement is having a partner killed or someone severely injured. And I had a guy who worked for me a couple months after I transferred to another district. He wound up being shot and killed in line of duty. And I'm still bothered by that. And that was, I think, 1989. Uh, That's how long ago it was. Those things don't go away. No, absolutely not. Absolutely not. It, It always stays with you. No matter no matter what you do, no matter what type of therapy you do, it's still with you. Yeah, you and you went through this, unfortunately. Yes, sir. And before we get into Nate's story, I want people to understand this. When I say my heart breaks for my brothers and sisters of blue, it also means their family members as well. And it also means all the law enforcement officers and first responders that were on scene. The paramedics, the EMTs, all those people, they get scarred by this as well. And let's not forget about dispatchers. Uh, they go through this and they, they have to deal with it at the same time. So they everybody pays a price. Oh, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad you mentioned dispatchers because they definitely don't get recognized enough. No, and I'll be honest with you. I've had several on the show. 
And uh, one of the things I say is, uh, look, as a cop, part of the reason I wanted a job was I wanted to help people. I know that sounds corny. I know that's what the, the catchphrase that we all supposedly say. <laughs> and it yep. came in ideological. It's going to change the world. It's going to do great things. And, and, and in many ways, I got changed. And, and really, nothing changed in the process. But as a dispatcher, when you're on a phone with people and you're trying to, you can't reach out through the phone line and solve their problems. You can't make things happen any faster than they are. Exactly. Yeah, and then you never get any closure because you're not on the scene. Whenever law enforcement officers get on the scene, we get the closure from it. Dispatchers, that just take the next call. Yeah, and I, you know what? I got to tell you, Nate, I hate that phrase, closure. I used to really big, be a big believer in closure and justice and all that. And for many people I've had on the show, there really is no closure. There's another phase, you know, especially yeah, when they lost yeah, a loved one. It's like, hey, you know, my dad died of lung cancer almost 30 years ago. For goodness sakes, it's been a long time. And the old saying, time heals all wounds, I don't believe it's true. I just get more used to it. That's all there is. Yes, sir. And I think that's the case with you, correct? Yes, sir. Yeah, just with time, I've gotten to where I can can deal with it better every day as as a new day comes. You know, sometimes I still have my bad days where it really hits me, but... For the most part, as I move on, and what actually helps is me telling my story about it. You know, that's pretty therapeutic for me. So it helps me move on and be able to handle it and control it a little bit better every single day. Let's go right into it. Let's tell me about the incident where your partner was killed. Absolutely. Uh, it all started on June 11th in 2016. My partner was assigned to me. He was, he was a rookie straight out of training. And I had, at this time, I already had eight years of service in. And I had the most experience on my, on my squad. So the sergeant, lieutenant, put him in my district so I could watch over him. Well, we get sent to a noise complaint. And it's something I've always dealt with by myself because you don't need two officers to tell people to turn the noise down. So I, I kept him coming to me. So we went out there, um, ended up being B and B this guy rents out to have parties. So we went out there, we tell them to turn it down. They gave us nothing but disrespect to us. So I was like, okay, if I have to come back out, you know, the whole typical, you know, if I come back out here, something's going to happen and I'll write some tickets or whatever. So we leave there, you know, go about our day. Then June 12th, 2016 at around zero 300 in the morning, we get called back out to this house. And again, something I always take care of by myself. I want to give I want to give my partner a little bit more exposure to people being disrespectful to us. So I kept him coming. I never disregarded him, which is something I always do. So I get up to the house. Actually, you know, we always park, you know, a few houses down. So I'm sitting there waiting for my partner. A couple of other officers show up because they know, hey, we're about to deal with some stuff and some people that don't want us to be there. So they're coming out to help. And it was actually a pretty slow night. So we're sitting, we're sitting, sitting around, standing in our, standing around our cars, waiting for my partner to show up. And it's finally, it's taking a little bit. So you know what? Hey, let's, uh, let's go and start making our way up to the house so we can at least start the process. So we start walking up and then dispatch comes over the radio. And they said, there's been a vehicle accident involving an officer and the officer's unresponsive. Uh, the location that they gave, I knew exactly who it was. I just had that feeling. I was like, that's my partner. 
I know it is. So we run to our cars, hop in them. We take off down the road. I end up passing the other two officers because I, I need to get to my partner. So we get to the scene. I think I was the second officer on scene, but I was the first one to my partner. So I run up to him, um, and I've been on a lot of fatality accidents. And I see the car. I was like, oh, man, this isn't good. I run up to him. I look at him. He has that bright red blood coming out of his ear. And I've seen that in a lot of accidents where the person didn't survive. And I was like, oh, this, this can't be happening. So I reach in into his vehicle uh, to check for a pulse. And I felt a pulse. So I get on the radio real quick. I say, hey, I got a pulse. I got a pulse. And as soon as I get off the radio, I'm standing there. I still feel the pulse. And I realized I was feeling my pulse because my adrenaline's going so much. So I took a deep breath, try to calm myself down, reach back in there, and I didn't feel a pulse. I knew he was gone. That very instant, I got overcome with guilt. Because a call that I always disregard my cover on because I can handle a noise complaint. I kept him coming because I wanted him to have some exposure. And I just was responsible for his death. The old coulda, shoulda, woulda. You know, and yes, in hindsight is twenty twenty. It's perfect. Uh, future vision, it, it really doesn't exist. We're talking with Nate Fisher on the Law Enforcement Today show. Nate is a former law enforcement officer. We turn our conversation. We're going to talk more about the death of his partner, how this impacted him. Also, we're going to talk about his podcast, and his podcast is called Surviving the Streets. This is Law Enforcement Today's show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. Have I got a deal for you? No, I'm not trying to sell you a bridge or swampland. Enter contests for your chance to win great prizes by subscribing to the Law Enforcement Today radio show email newsletter. All subscribers are automatically entered in all future contests. Sign up at letradioshow.com. Scroll down to the sign-up area. That's letradioshow.com. Return conversation with Nate Fisher on the Law Enforcement Today Show. He is a former law enforcement officer. We'll explain why that's important in a little bit. He is also a podcaster. The name of his podcast is Surviving the Streets Podcast. He's a member of the United States military. We cannot talk about which branch. During your career in law enforcement, Nate, you had the extreme misfortune. And by the way, your your partner who was killed, his family, I say his, I, I, I don't know, male, female, your partner? He is male. Okay. When I say guys in particular, that meant men and women. That meant our squad. We didn't care. We never cared about ethnicity, gender, race, religion. Just do your job. And if I need help, just show up. That's all we cared. And we really didn't care how big you were. If all you could do was hold a hand, then hold a hand. You know, if I was at a brawl and all you could do is grab an arm, a hand, just do that. And uh, let us get the guy subdued. So Absolutely. I've, I have the utmost heartache for the family of your partner. And I also have a lot of heartache for you and those who were there. That includes the EMTs, the paramedics, and dispatchers as well. When you said you heard the call for a, a, a bad accident involving an officer, you knew who exactly who it was, and you got there. One of my things, and I'm very fortunate in my career, many police injured law enforcement. Many, many people died 
uh, mm-hmm. where I was there. Often say that the last thing these, these people saw was the, the face of a Baltimore police. That's just the way it was. And you try talking to them and, and let them know you're going to be okay and just hang in there and all those things, even if you don't believe it. Mm-hmm. Did you have that conversation with him? Hey, hang in there, even though you knew he was already gone, or maybe the, somehow or another we could find a way to rectify this and, and get you alive and healthy again? I honestly, I didn't. Uh, whenever I checked for that pulse that second time and didn't get one, and seeing the the injuries that he had from the from the accident, I knew he was gone. And that, like I said, that guilt just overcame me so much that I left his vehicle and just went and sat down on the curb because I literally I felt like I just killed my partner. And then the other officers, you know, they arrived on the scene and they're doing everything they can to get him out. And I really have to give it to the fire department. They got there. They understood the situation and they knew that there's no way they could push police officers out of the way to try and try and get a door off or anything like that. So they're just handing the other officers the tools because we're, I mean, it's one of our own trapped gone we need be the ones that do something so they're just handing the tools to the officers as they try and pry the doors open the only time that they actually had to push the officers out of the way whenever they had to get the uh the jaws of life out to cut to actually cut open the car because it was hit that badly as so much damage that they had to use the jaws of life to get about it's kind of strong and the entire time i'm just sitting on the curb all too often, like I just killed him. All, all too often, we we hear the term auto accident. And we think, ah, oh, not a big deal, fender bender. Mm-hmm. And we lose sight of the fact that many, many people are killed in, in vehicle accidents. And one of the top killers of police, and I say, when I say police, that means sheriffs, anybody that's in law enforcement, mm-hmm. and other first responders, is auto accidents. It, it's yeah. a horrendous thing. And, you know, there was a period of time in my career early on where I didn't wear a seatbelt. I had this mindset of, Hey, I'm right-handed. It would get hung up, and I couldn't get out of the car, and all that other stuff. And exactly, I and that's a, how I was. That's how I was actually trained. That's that's what we. But what we started, guys don't. They're like, don't put your seatbelt yeah. on. We we started to take it off as we were getting close to the street. I I remember a, a side partner. He got mm-hmm. hit in a horrible accident. He had a seatbelt on, and he walked away from it. And yeah, he was he was beaten up, and he had lots of bruises and lots of injuries. But mm-hmm. no one should have survived this accident. And that from that day on. And watching things like NASCAR, when you watch race car drivers and they don't drive without a seatbelt on, I'm thinking, maybe I should relook at this. Yeah, exactly. And it's a thing that's going on in, in our culture for a long time. And the truth is, you and I, as active duty police officers, and I'm long retired, and, and you're former. Yes, sir. You have a much greater chance of getting into a car accident than you do getting into a shooting. Oh, Absolutely. I mean, I always wear my seatbelt. Like whenever I first started out as a cop, you know, I was trained not to. So, you know, that was instilled in me. But as soon as I got out of my cruiser and got into my personal vehicle, it came on. Then policies started changing to where it was mandatory to have it on at all times. Even for the people that were taken to jail, we had to make sure that they had their seatbelts on as well. Just because of all the accidents that are involved with, uh, with the police. Yeah, and they're they're frequent. And I have three things I tell people, the three yeses now. I, I wish I'd really known. And we, we had very inadequate, but we had soft body armor. 
seatbelts. Mm-hmm. So there's two S's, seatbelts, soft body armor, and the third one is sunscreen. If you're going to be out there working in the streets and you're outside, you're exposed to the sun all the time, put on sunscreen. I know you don't think you need it, but trust me, I go to the dermatologist so often, I'm getting chunks cut out of me left and right. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I use that a lot now on my job today. So when I, when I was a cop, I always worked nights, so I didn't really have to worry about it too much unless I was doing a, an extra extra job or picking up an overtime shift. So when this happened, you were an experienced officer. You had eight eight years on the street, and you were considered one of the senior people on your squad, correct? Yes, sir. I had eight years on the street. Uh, my prior uh, department, I was also a SWAT guy. So I, I had a lot of experience, and then with my military experience on top of that, you know, I had a lot of respect for from my peers because of everything that I've, that I've been through and done. To where whenever I spoke, people listened, and I had a lot of respect from everybody. So the fact that, you know, I was off, I felt horrible because I was off on the side sitting on the curb when I should have been one of the ones helping the guys out, but I just couldn't do it. It was too much for me at that time. Was it an accumulation, you think, of everything, or was it just one sudden event? Oh, it was accumulation of everything. I mean, when you're, when you're a police officer, I always say it's about 80% of the time you're, that you're dealing with public, you're seeing them at their lowest. And you're seeing nothing but the negative stuff. And then the first department I worked in, I worked the smallest district, but it had, it had to have the most officers in it because of how bad it was to where I was getting into fights all the time to where I started secluding myself from society because I couldn't trust them anymore because I would get, I've been ambushed before where I'm talking to somebody and a couple other people come up from behind me and attack me. You know, I've been through all this stuff that, you know, you see in the movies and stuff like that. So all that was just piling up. And then, of course, that affects my personal life. So while this was happening with my partner, my partner was was killed that same week, my marriage was ending. Before we take a break, what was your partner's name? Indy Ekpanya. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. We're talking with Nate Fisher. When we turn, we're going to talk more about the incident that killed his partner, the after effects, how it affected him, and his podcast, Surviving Streets Podcast. This is the Law Enforcement Day Show. Don't go anywhere. We'll be right back. There's only one official Facebook page. What you do, you do a search on Facebook for Law Enforcement Today radio show. Click like and follow. There you'll find updates about upcoming episodes of the radio show. You can contact me. We also find unique, one-of-a-kind editorials and news articles. That is our Facebook page, Law Enforcement Today radio show. Be sure to click like and follow. We'll see you there. Current conversation with Nate Fisher on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Nate is a former law enforcement officer in the state of Texas. Uh, worked with two agencies. He is also a podcaster. He was podcast Surviving Streets podcast, and he's a member of the United States military. Before we get a break, you're talking about the death of your partner, and you said something I think is very important. I should have been there helping, but all I could do was sit on the curb. Yes, sir. I know there's certain things we're supposed to do. There's certain policies. We, we go through our head. Hey, I got to do this, 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 and this when this occurs. This, this, and this. When something really horrific happens like this, quite often, 
that checklist in our mind of things that we're supposed to do goes out the window and it becomes, and I know it sounds dramatic, a matter of being overwhelmed by your emotions. Is that what happened to you? Oh, absolutely. Uh, like I said, like the guilt and everything just kicked in and I physically just couldn't do it. I knew if I went up to the car and saw him again, I would probably have really broken down and all the other, other officers would have seen that. And then they would have to try and take care of me while they're trying to help him. So I removed myself from the situation and sat down and just was just frozen with the guilt and the anger of what just happened. There's so many questions I'd like to ask you. Uh, and mm-hmm. my mind is kind of racing, to be honest with you, because I can imagine the situation. I, I'm so grateful I never had to go through this. However, I carry my own set of guilt from the death of my subordinate officer and friend, uh, Bill Martin. Mm. And yes, there's logic in your head. It tells you, hey, there's nothing you could do. It's an accident or whatever it might be. There's the logic and then there's the emotional side. And when the emotional side takes over, like the survivor's guilt, I'm responsible. I was supposed to take care of them, all these things. And as a sergeant, you had to take care of your men and make sure they Mm -hmm. take care of the people. They did the job right. And you're kind of like a buffer. But the number one priority is everybody made it home at the end of the shift. That's what we wanted. Everybody go home. And we wanted everybody to walk away okay. And that included civilians and citizens as well. We wanted them to be okay. We wanted to help them as much as we could. And when you can't, that's a pretty powerless feeling. Yes. Uh, Absolutely. I, I mean, whenever I saw my partner there and I knew he was gone, I knew I couldn't help him. I mean, as an officer, you're there to fix problems. You know, we don't take, we don't always take people to jail. We're there to help people and fix, and you're, you're a problem solver. And I couldn't fix this problem. I couldn't help my partner anymore. I was, I was useless at this point and I was, I was lost. And that's why I just sat on the curb and I've had people come up to me after the fact, after you know, years later, like, yeah, whenever I think about it, all I picture is you on the curb. And of course, you know, that brings stuff back up for me. And I'm just like, yeah, I couldn't do anything. I was stuck on a curb. Because when the emotions take over, logic gets thrown off to the side. Look, there are many times I cried in a patrol car. And, and that's usually after the fact, when mm-hmm. fear would set in and all these other things. And But the guilt part, that's a very subtle thing, and that's something that, that creeps up very slowly and it stays for a very, very long time. Yes, sir. And it, it stayed with me for for years. Uh, I, got, I, I would drink because of it, trying to get rid of the guilt. And the guilt actually led me uh, to having a, some real bad uh, mental health issues right after that because I couldn't sleep. For, there was like three or four days where I didn't sleep at all. And... I'm just finding out that my marriage is ending. Um, so I'm, I'm losing my family. I just lost my partner. I'm losing my family. And I'm dealing with all this stuff. And I'm not sleeping. I must have looked like when I got to work because my sergeant's like, hey, you need to go home and get some sleep. But I, you know, I told him, like, I don't have any time off. Like, I don't have that much vacation time. He's like, don't worry about it. Just go home and go to sleep. So I went home. But I'm going home to, a, to where I can't get sleep because my marriage is ending. And this is where things really took a turn for the worse for me because I'm feeling all this guilt from my, my partner uh, 
being killed and I'm losing my family and me and my spouse at the time, we get into a, an argument and I see, I see my sidearm on my, on my uh, end table next to my bed. And this entire time of feeling guilt and everything, like I'd be, I would be driving. I'm like, I, w- I want to drive off this bridge. I don't want to feel this way anymore. So I'm in this fight with my, with my spouse. I see my sidearm sitting on my, on my nightstand and I'm, I'm done. I can't deal with this stuff anymore. So I pick it up. I look at my spouse, I put it to my head and I pull the trigger. And as cops, we always keep a round in the chamber. It's something that's you, ha- you have to do. The gun went click and I've never had an issue with my firearm. So I, I was ready to go. I didn't want to be here anymore. I didn't want to feel the guilt. I didn't want to be the one responsible of losing, losing my, my family. So I did what I'm trying to do. You know, I, the whole slap racking and slap the bottom of the, of the gun, you know, you try rack another round and I went to go do it again. And my spouse, my spouse at the time ran up and grabbed the gun from me. And I went and I left the house and I went and slept in my truck. First of all, it's a miracle you're here because you yes, said sir. a point that we always keep around in the chamber. Yes, sir. That means uh, what people watch TV all the time, and the first thing the cop shows do is they show them racking the gun, the semi-automatic. Oh, exactly, and, and that makes so no annoying. sense at all. Because who does that? I mean, no yeah, you one be does. Ready it. to go? Exactly. Exactly. And if you pull the weapon, you, you need to be ready to use it, and you need to understand the reason why you're using it. And it's not something that's played with. It's not something that is. There's no middle ground with drawing your weapon. Is what I'm saying. So the fact that you survived that and then your spouse took action and probably saved your life on the second round, uh, the magnitude of that is not lost on me. Yeah, it, I mean, like whenever I try to put another round in the chamber, I honestly, I I don't recall an, a round flying out whenever I went to re-rack it to put another round in. I can't remember, but I know I always had one in the chamber. And the fact that it didn't go off, like when I first pulled the trigger and all I heard was the click, like it surprised me, but I didn't have like that, oh crap, I'm, I can't believe I'm about to do this. Like you hear a lot of times where someone tries to commit suicide and doesn't work and they're like, oh my goodness, I can't do, I can't believe I did this. I didn't feel that way. Like it went click. I was like, no, I'm doing this. I don't want to feel this way anymore. And I was trying to take the easy way out. I, I get that. Was this a bottom for you? You said you went out to the truck and slept in the truck after that. I'm sure sleeping is a, a mild way of putting it. I'm sure you're very upset and distraught. Yeah, I, I went my truck. I actually drove away. I found a parking lot. I said I went to sleep. I laid there in the parking lot, well, in my truck, and I just lay there till I don't know. It's, it's that point in time is really hard for me to really remember a lot. Because during this whole week of filling everything, there's a lot of times where I can't remember things anymore. 
I think that might be a bit of a blessing. The older I get, the less I remember things, finally. That's one of the the positives about getting older. And by the way, getting (laughs) older is a privilege denied to many. So I don't don't mock it that often. I can't do what I used to do. Uh, I Mm -hmm. pay the price. But uh, many of the the things that haunted me for so long uh, have dulled quite a bit. We are talking with Nate Fisher. Nate is a former police officer in Texas. He is also host of the Surviving Streets podcast, member of the United States military. We're going to talk more about life after the death of his partner on the Law Enforcement Day show. Don't go anywhere. We will be right back. John discovered a cool new app, and he just can't put it down because it has millions of great podcasts, including Law Enforcement Today. So now you can listen anytime, anywhere, and also chat with John. It's called Podopolo. It's free on either app store, so join John there. Follow Law Enforcement Today and DM John when you do. That's Podopolo. Download it now. Return conversation with Nate Fisher on the Law Enforcement Today Show. Nate is a former law enforcement officer, and I'll tell you why it's important in just a moment. I'm from Texas. He is also a member of the United States military and is the podcast host, Surviving Streets Podcast, the name of his show. Uh, the reason why former is important. Now, there's very few things I will correct people on. I've gotten more diplomatic as I get older. If someone calls me ex-cop, I do te- I correct them. It doesn't matter who they are. I'll say, no, it's retired. So we have former, meaning you left your own accord. You have ex, meaning you usually left in bad standing or were forced to resign, or the other one is retired. And quite often, formers are retired. They just don't have a pension. So for me, that's one thing that's very, very important. And I, when I say he's a former police officer, that's the reason why I bring it up. You went through many years on the job, all the toll that that takes, and then you had the catastrophic incident where your, your young partner... Uh, just fresh out of the academy, was killed in a car accident. And in the meantime, you're, you're starting to disintegrate. You're starting to fall apart. And your marriage is falling apart as well. And then before we went to break, you talked about wanting to die by suicide. It was very, very – was it a quick decision or was it something that's calculated? It was, it was very quick. Uh, for me, like, like I said, I, I had thoughts of it, you know, like just like driving off the bridge or something like that. But whenever I was in that fight with my spouse – I saw the weapon, and I was like, "All right, let's do this right here, right now." Like, I'm ready. So it was, it was very. It was a quick decision, and it wasn't one of those where, you know, you have a lot of people that go and write the suicide notes and everything like that. It was just very. Let's do this right now. So thankfully, you did not. You were not successful. Uh, you wound Correct. up going to your truck, and uh, that's where winter break and. Explain the process of you're at your bottom, you're suicidal, you're overcome with survivor's guilt, guilt, feeling responsible for his death. And it sounds like some post-traumatic stress issues as well. Yes, sir. So, like, you know, I, I've continued, I have to continue going to work. Uh, I, used, I was a very productive officer uh, in both the uh, departments I was in. My productivity went to zero. I ended up sitting at the at the crash site through most of my shift just wondering how I could have fixed it how I could have saved them and then as time kept going on you know I'm going through a divorce now uh, and everything I end up getting sent overseas with the military that just kind of re- removed me from the situation for a little bit because I was 
the lead guy in the military for what I did. So I, I had to make sure the job was getting done and everything. So I kept my mind busy. And then as soon as I came home, you know, I had the divorce was over, all that. And I'm trying to go back to work. I'm living on a buddy's couch. Reality strikes again that I have the guilt from my partner's death. And now I have the guilt of attempting suicide weighing, weighing on me. So when I wasn't on duty, I was drinking to try and suppress everything. I started drinking heavily. As soon as I'd wake up, I'd sit in the garage, had a fridge full of beer, I'd start drinking. Now, I started telling myself, you know what, alcoholics drink alone. And I was like, I can't do this. I can't can't drink alone. But I still need a drink. So then I started going out and meeting people, trying to, you know, make some friends because I with the second apartment I was in, I really didn't know anyone in the city because I moved down to the second apartment to try to try and save my marriage. And so I didn't know anybody. So I was trying to go out and meet someone just so I wouldn't be drinking alone. And that's how I met my now fiance. And, uh, she's an equestrian, which, so she manages a barn and trains horses. So we end up meeting and, you know, I got a hook because I told her I was still a police officer and I can, I get free coffee as a police officer in a lot of places. Like, I can always hook you up with some coffee. She's like, Oh, okay. And so she was hooked. That worked. That worked. <laughs> <laughs> you tell her, but I then, said, thank you. I think she let that work. Cause free coffee, free stale, horrible coffee really is not oh, appealing yeah. to anybody. <laughs> I didn't tell her it was good coffee. <laughs> So you met but her, and is this when your life started to change? My life started changing. Um, so as soon as I met her, and within about two weeks of us talking and start, trying to start a dating relationship, I ended up leaving the police department. And I left the police department, and it was being a cop was one of my childhood dreams. And I left the police department knowing I could never be a cop again because I attempted suicide. So when I left the police department, I became a military contractor because my divorce and everything put me in so much debt. I couldn't handle having a financial stress on me anymore. So I became a a military contractor. I was gone three to four months at a time, only home for about 30 days. And my fiance stayed with me during all this. Now, during those 30 days, I still felt a lot of guilt for everything. So during those 30 days, I was spending over $300 a day on alcohol at the bar. You were a heavy hitter. Oh, yeah. And I hit it very good. To, like For the longest time, my fiance had no idea what that was doing that. Like She'd be at work, working horses and stuff. And then she'd call me up like, hey, where are you at? And I'm like, oh, I'm just now pulling up to the bar. But I'd been there for about four hours already, four or five hours. So finally, she started um, telling me, hey, why don't you come out to the barn with me? I was like, okay, yeah, I'll come out to the barn. You know, give me something to do after the gym and stuff. So I'd go out to the barn and I started shoveling horse, you know, helping her clean the stalls and stuff and started helping her with the horses, grooming the horses, you know, make sure they're taken care of. And that's where my therapy started without me knowing it. My bar tab started dramatically falling because the thing with horses, because there's a thing out there called equine therapy. And I didn't know anything about this, but the horses or just like how uh, service dogs can pick up what you're putting off and then they know something's wrong, so they come to you. A horse, they can pick they pick up everything you're putting off 
but they don't want you to touch them at all. If you're having bad anxiety or just having a real bad day, they, they pick that up. So I was having a hard time getting with the horses to help out my fiance, uh, to, so she can get her job done. So I had to learn how to control myself. I learned breathing techniques. You know, I'd take nice big breaths in and out, calm myself down. Then I could go be with the horse and do what I need to do. I started learning how to handle my anxiety, handle my grief, handle my depression. That way I could actually be around the horses and help them. And I had no idea this was all happening to me. Like I had no idea that the therapy was happening. It sounds to me Even Nate, like came out and, the horses help you more than they, you help them. Oh, exactly. Yeah. They're, they, they're the ones that provided the therapy for me. All I was doing was just brushing them and cleaning out their hooves. Did your other half, did she realize at that point what was going on or was that later? It was a little later because we started talking about it. She's, she's an open book. She's very open. And I tell everyone she saved my life. Absolutely. And, and one of the things that has happened to her and her past is she actually attempted suicide in the past because she went through a pretty big ordeal. And she was an open book about it. And she told me about it. And that gave me the courage and the strength to tell her about what happened to me. And I started telling her about, yeah, the horses are for the longest time. They wouldn't come to me until I, I started feeling a little bit better. And she was the one that told me about the horses, how they pick up what you're putting off. Let her know. We have to have her on a show in the future, tell her story and not so much yours. We're almost out of time. I, I know that you started a podcast called surviving the streets. Tell us about that, where people can find it. Yes, sir. I've been doing it for a year. It's on Apple, iHeart, and Spotify. So basically, I, I do one to two shows uh, a month. I just have different first responders come on. I keep them an anonymous if that's what they want. And we talk about mental health. Uh, they either tell their stories about their struggle or things that they're trying to do with mental health in the first responder community because we're real big on trying to break the stigma, the bad stigma of mental health. And you're working on getting a website. You don't have that yet, but are you, are you on social Correct. media? I'm working on getting a website. I'm working on starting a nonprofit. That way we can help provide therapy for retirees and active guys because therapy is not cheap. No, it is not. Nate, thanks so much for being a guest on the show. Thanks for all you do. All very much appreciated. Yes, sir. Thank you for having me on. I'd like to thank our guests so much for coming on the Law Enforcement Today radio show. The Law Enforcement Today radio show is a nationally syndicated radio show broadcast on numerous stations once a week and growing. If you enjoyed the podcast version of the show, please do me a big favor. Tell a friend. And if you're able, leave an honest review and or rating. I'll be back in just a couple days with a brand new episode of the Law Enforcement Today radio show and podcast. Until then, this is John J. Wiley. See ya.